Welcome back once again then to the Coffee and Heroes podcast. We are back with our review show. So we're still playing a little bit of catch up at this point. We have a, a couple of weeks worth of titles to get through. We're just going to cover one this week though as uh, we're just a little bit behind in the rating and we want to bring out as informed opinions as possible. So we have all finished our pull list for titles that were released on the 24th of February. Uh, plenty to get through anyway, so don't worry too much about that. Your host, as always, Alan, owner and operator of Coffee and Heroes. I'm joined once again by Keith. How are you, sir? Hi, I'm not too bad, thanks. I'm not too bad. The weekend could have been longer, uh, but sure, that's always a complaint. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, we're, 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 we're next week we've got a wee, uh, wee public holiday in the middle of the week, so that's, that's always nice uh, here in, in Northern Ireland. Um, so, uh, so yeah, be, uh, be good to, to spend it, uh, watching some TV and, uh, and reading some comics. And prepping for the Snyder cut that I said I wasn't going to mention. Uh, <laughs> but not just Keith this week, he has got over his eternal shame and Patty is back with us as well after his CGC snafu. Have you recovered from that yet, sir? I still haven't. I, uh, actually told Carrie the story on saturday it's just kind of looked at me you know as if to, why are you telling me this uh but yes uh, i'm glad we could sort out uh, i did threaten you guys with legal action over your your scandalous comments so uh, <laughs> I, i'm glad i got that written apology through and happy to put the the issue behind us i'm happy to say that no apology was forthcoming but it was <laughs> it was fun taking the mick out of you quite a bit but it was it was quite the long detailed threatening uh message we got from you uh, you must have been bored or something but but yeah um but yeah before we jump into comic books and, and all the usual good stuff of course we we have to talk up front about one division uh which has easily been one of the biggest tv events of the year of the last couple of years i would say certainly the way it's hit the the pop culture uh, world that we live in you know we're obviously craving marvel content it's one of the most talked about sort of watercooler-esque shows if you will you know it's it came to an end this week uh we will be talking lots of spoilers for probably the next 10 minutes so if you haven't watched it please do skip ahead i will put the timings in the description as always so last warning spoilers are forthcoming so yeah episode nine at a base level i was thoroughly disappointed but I'm going to leave it to you two to tell me why I'm wrong. Tell me why I'm wrong, Keith. Why was it fantastic? No, that seems a wee bit of a setup where you're going to tell us you're disappointed, then you're going to have us convince you why you're wrong without knowing why you're wrong. Well, that's fair. Well, I had a little rant about it before we started, so I don't, I don't know. I just, for me, I have a real problem with television when they set up these great moments. And some of my favorite shows are guilty of this, I will, I will say. But when they set up this this really interesting concept and then they don't deliver on it. Now, One Division, and again, spoilers, just in case you're still here, but when you got that moment with Pietro turning up and it was Quicksilver from the X-Men comics and we all speculate, and this is not a fault of the producers either to a degree because you know we're the ones that assumed this was going to lead to other stuff. But the problem for me was they set up this really interesting thing where these two universes could have collided, they got the fans excited, and then they basically pulled the same crap that they pulled with Iron Man 3. And, no, no, I'm an actor. I'm Trevor. I'm Trevor. The, one of the worst things that ever happened in a Marvel movie because that villain was fantastic. And then they just ruined it, for me anyway. And again, this is all just my opinion. Uh, I'm more than happy if everybody loved the last episode and just piles on me and tells me I'm wrong. But... 
I hate that they did that with Pietro. I hate that they pulled out a boner joke. You know, really? Uh, is that the level of humor we're at for a Marvel show? I like to think we're a little bit smarter than that. I thought that <sighs> it was a horribly two-dimensional villain in the end who was shooting at kids, may I add, as well. So next time you complain about the DC Universe being dark, just remember that he shot at kids. Then when they were dodged, shot at them again. <laughs> so it wasn't even like he just did it, you know, twice. Um, and for me, the whole show seemed like a meditation on loss and acceptance and learning to move on, you know, when someone who meant so much to you was gone. Uh, but the fact that they essentially created another vision means that it wasn't even about that in the end. So, I don't know, just, just for me, like, there was good stuff in it, don't get me wrong. I love the reveal of the costume. I thought it was brilliantly designed. I love the way where they've left Wanda, where they've positioned her within the MCU, I find really interesting. You know, she's clearly accessing her full power set. So there was good stuff in it, but I couldn't help but walk away from it, so to speak, disappointed. So that's my two cents for what it's worth. I enjoyed it. I thought it, it, it was a good finale. It disappointed with Hayward. I thought I expected a bit more. He just seemed to go out in a bit of a whimper, you know. Uh, I thought Agatha became a bit bit of a cheesy character, you know, I didn't, I thought she was fantastic throughout, but once she kind of went into witch mode, I, I don't think it suited the actress. Uh, but other than that, I thought it was very, very enjoyable. I thought the after two after credits, after, after credit scenes were very, very good. But that's sometimes uh, the problem with Marvel stuff. If a movie's not good, it can be saved by the stinger. You know what I mean? It's like, because that's the last thing you'll be talking about. And there was actually one other thing. There was one line in it that really bugged the life out of me. And obviously, uh, you know, she could have stayed there. She could have had her life with Vision. Obviously, she would have trapped all these people who were not living their reality and all the rest. But uh, Monica Rambo, it is Monica Rambo, isn't it? Comes it is, to it her and says, these people will never understand what you give up for them. She put them all in that position in the first place. She'll never understand what you just gave up for them. Give me a break. That really bugged and, me as well. And the guy who was trying to free them was arrested at the end. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, let's take away all this negativity. Tell us why it was great. Or tell us what the best parts of it were anyway, Keith. Well, I mean, just to address your address your 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 the, the Pietro issue. I mean, I I never thought that Pietro was anything other than just a wee just a wee fan nod, just a wee we own Fox now and, and we can do this. You know what I mean? To me, that's that's all it was. That's all it ever was. You know what I mean? They could have had your, your other boy who played who played the, uh, you know, the Avengers of Ultron, the Avengers Edge of Ultron, Pietro. Mm-hmm. And, but, you know, whenever you can, whenever you can pull in the day or the, the, the X-Men, was it Days of Future Past he Future was in? Past, yeah. Uh, Pietro. And the Apocalypse Great, as well. Why not? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, you know, so, so I never, I was never looking at it past that. You know, other than thinking, oh, I wonder will they expand? I wonder will they maybe bring in, you know, Professor X or will they bring in, you know? But it, it became clear that, that that wasn't going to be the case. So, so I let it, you know, I let it go, um, and that was that was fine. Now, with regard to Hayward and the kids, the kids didn't exist in the first place, so doesn't matter. Doesn't <laughs> no, that, you're not getting off with that one. You're not getting and, the... uh, and uh, you know, in the same way as Agatha killing the dog, doesn't matter. Doesn't exist. Uh, and so it's okay you know, in marvel stuff to kill kids and kill dogs like have that imagery but it's okay kids they're not kill, real kill, 
kill dog, kill imaginary dogs, and threaten imaginary <laughs> children. Yeah, he didn't uh, threaten them; he shot at them. And I mean, we can't. I mean, Marvel and Marvel and and DC can't compete whenever we've read anything by Robert Kirkman. So, you know, <laughs> uh, there's no worries there. But no, I I thoroughly enjoyed the series as a whole. I thought it was I thought it was great. I think with uh, with you know finales by the with with the internet by the time these things come around, everybody's built up to such a hype that. The chances of ever delivering on anything are, are slim. I thought Paul Bettany's joke was hilarious. Oh, it was brilliant. <laughs> that, it was brilliant. That he was really looking forward. It was an actor who was really looking forward to look to been really looking forward to working alongside. It was right up there with the great chemistry. Great chemistry. <laughs> <laughs> he was, of course, talking about himself playing the other vision. But but yeah, I mean I think Alan, what you're saying, you know, uh, you, you had you had attributed this to be you know, a, a series about Wanda getting over the loss of vision. Now, it's comics. You know what I mean? Nobody stays dead. Please don't say so, that. That means Tony Stark could come back. Well, within <laughs> within within reason. But you know, so so I was already I was already trying to figure out how Vision was coming back. And Patty and I are in another another chat. Uh, you know about Wanda Vision, and I had sort of posited, you know, going well. I'm just this is Vision's original body. How does how does our imaginary vision, who never existed except in Scarlet Witch's head, download himself into his original body again, which was the white vision? So it was just a matter of figuring out how that was going to happen. But but do you not think it undercuts a lot of that emotion and a lot of these painful goodbyes and this and that? Because it's not goodbye. That For me, that it's like Tony Stark coming back. Like I know I obviously joke about the character and all this, but it's like if Tony Stark came back in another movie that would just completely demean his sacrifice of what he did because it, it was for nothing because he's back. And that, yeah, that's, like, what, I mean, that's, that's that, what bugs I mean, me because the, the whole episode is all about her saying goodbye and this emotional scene and the hex closing down and coming towards them and all emotional music. And you're just like, well... But now bear, like, mind, bear in mind that Wanda doesn't know that there's another vision out there. And that that's the thing that has really been, been bugging me. Why did... Why did her version of Vision not relate to her that potentially was still out there? You know mm-hmm. that, you know that that speech at the end where he said, you know, I started off as a as an idea and uh, you know a, a, a such 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 and such. Who knows what I'll be next? Uh, but he still didn't tell her. And I'm wondering why. I'm wondering had he got to the point after everything that he'd done that he just didn't trust her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's sick of her. Yeah, I don't think he's. I don't think he's sick of her, but I think I think he doesn't he, trust her. And I think he doesn't he want a, her to find him. <laughs> yeah, he does. He, he he certainly has. I mean, this is a woman who, at the end of the at the end of the episode, is sitting devouring the Darkhold, which is you know the most. It's the the, the Marvel Universe's version of the Necromonicon, dark evil spells created by the the Marvel Universe version of Cthulhu, Cthon. Uh, you know, and I think she was also sitting. I, I think I mentioned Patty. She was also sitting at the. I think her cabin is at the foot of Mount Wondagore, which is a, a significant magical location in the Marvel Universe, which was was kind of interesting. But yeah, I mean, I, up until that episode, I wasn't necessarily convinced that Agatha was the bad guy. I'm still not sure that she was a villain, per se. She definitely, she de- I see what you mean. She definitely got a wee bit stereotypically witchy. Yeah. Uh, but I thought that scene where they were fighting overhead and, and Wanda really was displaying her powers. And then whenever you saw the two the two sigils 
inside the inside the hex. I was like, oh, two sigils, two sigils, no other witch can cast, you know, da 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 da. So I thought that was a nice wee callback from episode five. You know what Wanda or what Agatha had done to her? Episode six was it? Yeah. Can't remember. Seven. And the maybe? way the way it's kind of left as well, where she says, uh, "If I need you, I know where you are." Yeah, I know where you are. Which you said in the comics, she's her, she's her mentor, mentor isn't yeah, she? Yeah, yeah. So, so there was a, there was quite a lot there was quite a lot going on there. I don't think I don't think Monica was necessarily sympathizing with Wanda over what she'd done, but. I mean, this this was a woman. This was a woman who'd had a mental breakdown, you know, and also had happened to have the power to alter reality. Uh, so I don't think, I don't think Monica was was sympathising, but maybe she was empathising. Uh, that that Wanda, you know, had, yes, yeah, she had put herself in that position to be put in that position, where she had to either choose her made up family or the freedom of a whole lot of other people, you know. And at the end of the day, she did make the right choice. But I, yeah, I mean, I don't, I didn't, I didn't think that Monica was saying you should have, you know, you're, you're, you're a good person for doing that necessarily. I think there's uh, a better way to project empathy than going. These people never understand the sacrifice you just made for them. Nah, not having that. Uh, I'm, that not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure your 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 tone is spot on there. <laughs> to, I gotta look to, up uh, Disney my, Plus right now, and we're just gonna. Yeah, I, I must. Uh, I must. Uh, so I'm. I will look forward to to rewatching. Well, I, I will look forward to saying I'm rewatching mm. it. But of course, we know that there's. Uh, we know that there's something else following straight on its heels. Well, that is so. it. And it's although just think just before we move on to what that's going to be, is there going to be like a behind the scenes one this week or something for One Division or the making of or something? Because I know that. Disney have always said that there's always going to be new Marvel original content every Friday for mm-hmm, like the next mm-hmm. however many years. 15 years or something. Yeah, D- did yeah I, I think, that, yes. I think the content was through off a wee bit. I think Disney never officially said that. I think someone had worked out a, oh, okay. a schedule. So I think next week is the, this, sorry, Friday coming is the making off. And then we jump into, I think it's Six episodes of Winter Soldier. Six episodes of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Falcon My God, Winter his Soldier. his name's first in the title, and you still uh, ignore it. Yeah, he get they get the the hour long episodes, and then Loki is next up in June, May, June. Now, when you say hour long episodes, do you mean forty two minute episodes with eighteen minutes of uh, <laughs> credits at the well, end, uh, or? No, <laughs> So it'll probably be fifteen minutes with ten yeah. minute ten minute credits. I mean, Falcon Winter Soldier. I'm massively looking forward to. I don't think it's going to be the kind of show. And I could be wrong in this. We may come back in like eight weeks' time and talk about it. But I don't think it's going to be the kind of show that necessarily is being set up to have lasting impressions in the MCU. Yep. It just seems like it's going to be a great action caper spy. Um, loads of nods to the fans. Obviously, getting proper Baron Zemo in there. I think it'll be a great thing. I don't know if it's going to set up loads, but again, I'm more than happy in eight weeks to be completely proven wrong, but I'm just really looking forward to this. Mm-hmm. Like when yeah. they announced yeah. all the shows, this is the one I zeroed in on personally. Yeah, when you kind of look at, I mean, it, you could say WandaVision has set up Doctor Strange 2, which is a year away, probably Spider-Man, uh, which comes before Doctor Strange, I think. You know, the, these films are a year away and we've already set the groundwork. So I, I I don't think it will, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Falcon and Winter Soldier line up something else. Something, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, my question was, are they are they setting up Wanda as a villain? 
it did seem that's... that way. It did seem yeah, that way. I mean, I, mean... You, I suppose you got to go off in a different direction when it comes to villains in the MCU because it's it was always one of the reasons I loved Ant Man and the Wasp so much is because it followed Infinity War and there was no way you were going to create a big bad to rival Thanos. So they went a different direction with like a heist movie and personal stakes and stuff like that. So I suppose you have to move on to a villain who's different. You know, Thanos was never like mystical or magical or anything like that. He was just, you know, pure desire and power. Um, so it, it would certainly be an interesting turn for um, a hero to become the villain, so to speak. It's that mm-hmm. old line, isn't it? You know, you you live yeah. long enough <laughs> to see yourself become the villain. So yeah, I mean, it's uh, and and what was interesting was was the fact that that Agatha said on no uncertain terms that she is more powerful than the Sorcerer Supreme. Uh, that Sorcerer Supreme being, of course, Doctor Strange. And she also said, "You have no idea what you've you've no idea what you've opened, yeah, or you've no you idea what, you, what, you what you started." You started, yeah. So again, this is this is why I'm wondering whether or not Agatha actually was the villain, or if she was just trying to prevent a greater evil. Uh, but yeah, the, the whole the whole thing with the dark hold was uh, was kind of nice there as well, uh, for sure. So, so yes, interesting, interesting times. I mean, if she's more powerful than Doctor Strange, is she more powerful than Donald Blake? Though that's the question. You know, after how easily he tossed, you know, Doctor Strange aside in the last yeah, well, issue, Thor. <laughs> I think we're I think we're <laughs> we're, we're crossing universes. We're, we're, we? You should never cross the streams. Never cross the streams. <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, no, Falcon Winter Soldier, I, I can't wait for it, I have to say. That'll be, that to me is Friday night viewing. Action, adventure, spy, characters you already know you like. Buddy, co- buddy comedy. Buddy yeah. comedy, you know, and uh, yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to that, I have to say. So, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much it on the news front. And the end, I suppose, I should say, of the WandaVision chat. So, you know, if you're now back with us having skipped this part, welcome back. Uh can't believe it was tony stark no no, it's, uh, <laughs> no spoilers here no spoilers here so yeah but we're going to move on to some comics that's what we're always here to do and again we're just going to cover the week of the the releases from the 24th of february so as ever we like to start up front with our numbers so another big week for myself uh i had 31 titles this week a lot of the reasons i have so many titles is because i've i committed to collecting all of future state i committed to collecting all of keenan black that kind of thing so i like to think my totals will come down a little bit in the next while but 31 titles this week 10 of which were dc six were marvel and as i say all that of course i have 15 in titles so my pull list is not coming down anytime soon what were your numbers patty uh half of what you had 13 to the 13 titles two dc four marvel and seven indie and I have to ask, Alan, you haven't given us an update in a few weeks. How is your variant watch going? Are you? Is it still a problem? Have you seeked help? Uh, I have not. No, I have just continued collecting variants. And uh, yeah, we'll not go into that. Uh, <laughs> I haven't bought any Batman. Oh, no, that's a blatant lie as well. I was about to say I haven't bought any Batman 50 variants in a while, but one arrived yesterday or on Saturday. Anyway, uh, <laughs> what were your numbers then, Keith? Uh, I had 27 in total, uh, 4 DC, 11 Marvel, 12 Indy. Cool, cool. So, yeah, so it was a, a packed week, as you can see. You know, heavy emphasis for all of us. Indy was our, our biggest uh, for all of us, just, just by one with Keith, but still Indy is, is ruling the roost. And again, it just comes down to what a what a golden period it is for Indy comics. You know, I'm just looking ahead to some of our honourable mentions. There's Image in there. There's AWA. There's Boom. There's Dark Horse. There's there's all kinds of stuff. So, 
but yeah, we'll kick things off with just honourable mentions before getting to our picks of the week. And we'll we'll jump up with, uh, with DC first of all. So three titles I thought just deserved a good shout out here. And uh, <laughs> there's a very common theme through all of them, which if you've listened to this podcast before, <laughs> you knew there was going to be bad titles. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, three three bad titles this week that I thought were really, really, really good. So you had Batman Black and White number three. What I'm really enjoying about Batman Black and White is it's... I know it's not a a, uh, a format that is for everyone. Looking at you, Keith, it's an anthology. But uh, what what's cool about Batman Black and White, so the, the central conceit is it's going to be a collection of short stories. It's going to be different creative teams every single issue. You'll never see the same creative team twice. And the art will always be in black and white, which suits Batman, dark, noir world. So with this issue, you had uh, contributions from John Ridley. Uh, so, of course, he's been writing Future State, the next Batman. He is going to be taking on next Batman's second son, which is an upcoming series. And he had Olivier Coupel on art for this, which was a big, big plus for me. Ooh, yeah, Thor's old, Thor's old artist. Thor's old artist, Magic Order, was another mm-hmm. standout as well. Of course, yeah. Uh, you also had contributions from Bengal, who wrote and drew an issue that was the artist on uh, Death or Glory, which was a really great image series with uh, Rick Remender. You had Tim Seeley writing a story with uh, Batman veteran Kelly Jones on uh, art duties. The one that stood out to me the most, which I'll get into in a wee second, was called Legacy. It was written and drawn by Nick Dragota. Uh, this is actually his writing debut. Very, very good artist, especially well-known for East of West through Image Comics. And then there was also another one, which was uh, by, I'm probably going to pronounce this name wrong, Bilqui, I think it is. Evely, uh, written and drawn by them. So, five stories. The the f- the problem with this issue, you know, we our good friend speculation rears its uh, nasty head again because, <sighs> yeah. So the John Ridley story was really good because it focused on the next Batman. It wasn't just you know Batman Bruce Wayne, but they introduced who would be his Robin into that universe as well. So of course everybody jumped straight on the first appearance gravy train, and uh, I think I had them up on the website for about five minutes and they were all sold. Which, of course, is always a good thing if, you know, for all my complaining about uh, speculation. <laughs> uh, Bill Quee Evely's story was really, really cool as well. It was a very sort of fantastical fairy tale involving Poison Ivy. And it reimagined Batman as sort of a, a 12th century knight. Uh, so I thought that was great. The Bengal one was predominantly a, a car chase, which was really, really good. Just with some of, uh, some of the Joker's thugs running around. But it's... What's interesting about it is it's Batman the whole way through, but then it ends with, you know, Batman taking the mask off and it says, "My father was Bruce Wayne," and it's actually a female underneath the, uh, underneath the cowl. Kelly Jones, of course, as I'm sure you can imagine, was very horror based. It was uh, Zatanna guest starring in that one as well, which I thought was great. And then the Nick Dracota one was class. It was essentially if Batman was to meet futuristic manga. It was called Legacy, and it was basically to do with this big massive Batman mech suit. Uh, and Batman lived underground and just came out to fight like kaijus and stuff like that. It was just a really, really fun, uh, fun what if story almost as well. So yeah, Batman Black and White. I, I've been really digging it. It's only going to be four issues, I think. I think the next one's actually the last. But I just love seeing different creators jump on short stories and uh, you know lots of ground to cover in it. So. So it was really cool. I really, really dug Batman White Knight Presents Harley Quinn book five as well. Uh, this introduced a red hood into uh, the Batman White Knight universe, which was really, really cool. 
Uh, it had a lot of good uh, flashbacks stuff with Joker and Jack and the complicated relationship that he had with uh, with Harley. There's also Poison Ivy making an appearance in this universe. I just love the the Murphy verse in general because they can play with expectations a little bit and they can change characters, so to speak, and change relationships and just really, really digging it. Again, I can't emphasize this enough. This was marketed as a side quest, so to speak. It's just a sequel. It's set two years after Curse of the White Knight. Batman's in prison. Joker's dead. Like, this is... It's, it's a sequel. So, essential reading. I know a few guys didn't pick it up uh, thinking because of how it was marketed. But definitely give it a read in, uh, in trade form if you get a chance. Is White Knight a separate universe? Is it... Yeah. So, it's known as the Murphyverse, so to speak. So, Sean Murphy is the creator of it. He takes a lot of influences from the animated series... A lot of influences from Batman 89, which for some reason is his favorite Batman movie. Uh, takes influences from Nolan's stuff. But it's very much its own separate continuity. It's it's It was one of the first Black Label titles. And back then we were all questioning why they don't just call it Elseworlds. Because that's essentially what Black Label is. It's, it's adult told stories independent of the main continuity. So everything in it is self-contained. So if I ever have someone come into the store saying i'm looking at a really good batman comic i don't know where to start white knight would be one of my starting points because it's self-contained you don't need to know anything about batman or bruce wayne or the complicated history jumping into that it'll give you everything you need from the get-go uh and then just one last one again batman related and again talked about it to the to the wheels come off but uh dark <laughs> detective number four uh hit this week as well so you got the finale of this Again, just Dan Moore doing absolutely astounding work the whole way through this book. Um, it's just absolutely brilliant. It's all to do with Bruce basically coming up with plans to essentially take on the magistrate. And, you know, it's, uh, it's what's the name of the, it's not Peacekeeper, the column. What is it they call the? It is, it is Peacekeeper, it is Peacekeeper, Peacekeeper one. It is yeah. Peacekeeper uh-huh. one. And I mean, I guess specifically, I mean, because all of the future state titles, well, with the exception of, I guess, a couple Swamp Thing and such, have been about taking on the magistrate, certainly the Gotham-based ones anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess what Bruce, who is presumed dead, having been killed or, or attempted murdered by... Uh, murder attempted? Had Priestkeeper 1 attempted to kill him at the start? And <laughs> 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 thinks him dead. That was a bloody mouthful. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I guess specifically he's working against the magistrate and he's working against their... Uh, surveillance program isn't it their, their yeah. drone their, their cloaked drone surveillance program which which aims to keep the people of gotham under constant uh surveillance that they're completely ignorant of yeah. um so it was yeah it was a great story i really i really loved the the swing of this whole this whole four arc story i think was was the strongest of the future state stories would that be fair to say Alan? wholeheartedly agree wholeheartedly yeah agree. no i mean and so overall the series was a home run and it definitely, you know, it, it looks like a like a total prologue prologue to Mariko Tamaki and Don Dan Mora's art on Detective. Detective, their, their yeah. run, yeah. Picks up so, ten thirty four. Yeah, so and I, I, Detective, Detective ten thirty four then picks up after Future State. Hard to say, Patty. I mean, is it? Do you know, Alan? Is it? I don't think it does, but I think it's essentially you know. they're planting seeds, and Detective ten thirty four will essentially serve as a prequel. Uh, although of course i say all this i could be totally wrong it it's a weird thing with comics sometimes because especially with us doing previews podcasts and so forth we want to recommend stuff left right and center to people 
but I also try my best to avoid the blurb sometimes because I don't want to have a story spoiled for me before I get to it, so to speak. Uh, but Detective 1030 for me, and I was jumping on it just because of the creative team. Well, I've been on Detective since a thousand, but I was always going to stay on it because of that creative team. But the the way that the issue ends, they could easily continue from this exact moment. Uh, but at the same time, it ends and it says Bruce Wayne's adventures continue anew next month mm-hmm. in Detective. So, and, you know, it's interesting because the Joshua Williamson Red Hood story with art by Giannis, um, Milano Giannis. Says also says also says to be continued uh, and I, it was great i get the feeling that red hood one 100 percent will be continued in future state gotham yeah and i wouldn't yeah. be surprised if future state gotham maybe touched on some of the other ones on on how they finished but yeah the backup story is is another reason that dark detective we've said it before mm. but another reason that dark detective stands out so much is because the backup stories have been pretty much just as good as the the main story as well so uh, now, i did i did i did think of the four dark detective issues this was maybe the weakest uh the other three being so strong but that said overall story together still still the strongest of the future state stuff by no by no small margin yeah i just love the reinterpretation of red hood as someone in the future who became like a basically a bounty hunter for masks so Mm. i thought it was a really interesting direction for the character as well and you've got deathstroke's daughter in here as well and and they're together and yeah i just i I thought the backup story was really, really good. I mean, the way they did it with Dark Detective was that issues two and four were this Red Hood story, and issues one and three were the Grifter story, and the Grifter story was great. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I I just love Dark Detective all around. I thought it was, as you say, easily the best of the Future State stuff. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty much me for DC this month. And my pick of the month isn't even a DC one either. You'll be shocked to know. Oof. I know. I'm I'm throwing out surprises all over the place here. <laughs> so what about Marvel then? Uh geez, I see my name beside X Men eighteen. Why is that? I think that's a typo, Mr. Miller. You that tell me why you loved X Men eighteen. <laughs> that that must be a typo, but I mean I I guess there's two reasons to to love X Men eighteen and that's Jonathan Hickman and Mamad Azrar. Uh you know, so that's that's the start. But I think with uh with X Men eighteen, uh Hickman is starting to really fully deliver on some of the promises that he's made in House of Powers, uh, in particular about sort of the post the post human threat and what that means for mutants as uh, as Wolverine, as in uh X twenty three Laura, uh Darwin and Sink uh make their way into the vault and face the children of the vault, um, who are a highly evolved and highly dangerous superpowered group developed by exposure to temporal acceleration uh, and they've appeared a few times over the years but i think hickman has planned to make really good use of them so wolverine and sink and darwin have entered the vault to evaluate the threat and the only thing they know is that time flows differently inside and everything else is sort of is a mystery now the reason you send wolverine in there is because of her healing factor uh you know no regardless of the time that passes Darwin is, I don't know if you're familiar with Darwin, Darwin is a mutant that was uh, created by Ed Brubaker back in the second Genesis storyline. They were the the unseen uh, second team of mutants who went on to Krakoa originally to try alongside uh, Vulcan to try and get get the original X-Men off there and failed. Um, And then, you know, the the, the all-new, all-exciting X-Men joined them. But Darwin, he has the ability to 
uh, evolve and adapt to a situation rapidly. So he under his body undergoes rapid evolution. And then the third member of that team is Sink, uh, Everett Thomas, who was introduced. I've loved him since his introduction back in Generation X in the 90s. And his power is the ability to uh, sync with any other mutant and borrow their powers or, or, or duplicate their powers. Uh, so it's a really it's a really interesting team and and sync really is the is the standout here. There's just some just some cool stuff that some cool stuff that happens um, and uh, yeah, yeah really foreshadows some some stuff to come. Reintroduces some old characters. So yeah, a lot to like a lot to like in X Men number number eighteen. And you seem to be staying within the realm of mutants then with uh, the latest issue of Wolverine number ten I believe. This was a great cover. Like I don't read Wolverine, but I really like this cover. Just the logo setup of it, the brightness uh, yeah, of it. There's just yeah, something it's, about it's, it, just really eye-catching. I thought it's lovely. You've got the cover there with uh, with Logan and his and his patch getup, his Madripoor secret agent getup, and Maverick, uh, his old uh, Team X um, compatriot behind him. Uh, so you're not reading Wolverine, Benjamin Percy, and you're not reading it. I know. I just I missed a couple issues. They're all here in my house, of course, because Vicky's an avid Wolverine fan. But yeah, uh, they're all here, so I'm sure at some point. I'm sure at some point. Do yeah, do yourself a solid. You'll be you'll you'll do all right. But uh, Wolverine is on is on Madripoor. He's investigating a recent robbery committed by Mercs. It's led him to this specialized auction with rare superhuman paraphernalia, including his own severed arm, uh, and his former Team X teammate Maverick. So. He's, Maverick's been brainwashed uh, again another great character from the 90s um, and you know Logan sort of breaks him out of his brainwashing and we have some really great really great action as Maverick sort of comes around during the fight and Wolverine sort of directing him while, while taking out all these these bad guys with with weird uh, with weird weapons and uh, and all of this sort of stuff so it yeah it's just a really it's a really solid uh, it's a really solid story so it is action packed fast paced Madripoor, uh, you know Ben Percy and Andy Kubert are doing great work. Uh, great work on this. Uh, I mean, it just just absolutely. Sorry, it's not Andy Kubert. It's Adam Kubert. My mistake. Mistook him for his brother. Uh, they're doing great work. Beautiful, just beautiful, beautiful art. And uh, as I say, Maverick, great Wolverine. I mean, and I think this Wolverine as a story maybe explores the because Wolverine spends so much time off Krakoa. He's maybe exploring the impact that, um, I guess, Krakoan politics and the, the rise of the mutant nation is having on the rest of the world at large. So that's that's kind of interesting as well. And as sure as night follows day and I talk <laughs> about Batman titles, tell us about Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah, buddy. Uh, you're still not you're still not there, are you, Alan? I am going to jump on it this week. I So we're recording this on the Monday night. We've started getting our deliveries now on Mondays. The issue actually even says on the cover, great jumping on point, new okay. job, new suit, new powers. So, of course, the yeah. speculators will go crazy for new suit, but I'm going to jump on a single issue from 16. Okay, good. I mean, and I, I do hope that, that Spencer and Bagley are on this together for a long, long, long time. Uh, I mean, Spencer's already been on it for a fairly long time, but uh, I'm happy for him to continue. Paddy, are you on this? I am, yeah. I got back into it just at the end of Cinderizing, which mm. I don't think has ended. Uh, we're definitely still feeling the impacts of this, and in this particular issue, uh, Mary Jane gives Peter, through her experience on the stage, um, I guess the opportunity to lay bare his his soul following the impacts of of, of Kindred and Last Remains. Kindred being 
revealed to have been uh, Peter's best friend, former Green Goblin Harry Osborn. So, I mean, Mark Mark Bagley just awesomely displays the depth and, and breadth of Peter's pain on his face through through multiple panels that are just just focused on Peter's. You know, there's two there's two pages of panels that are just focused on on Peter's face and his expression. You know, it's whenever you've known this guy as long as I have, it's really heartbreaking. Um, you know, and so so I mean, I guess it's it's cathartic cathartic for Peter. You know, figuring this out and, and figuring out where he maybe needs to go next, which is why we've we've got a jumping on point next issue, which as you say is the new costume and so forth and so on. So I'm looking forward to seeing where that goes. But there's definitely a twist in the tale of this one. Doctor Strange has been marginally involved in this last remain storyline, and uh, and we see Doctor uh, Doctor Strange appear at the uh, at the Hotel Inferno in Las Vegas, which is Mephisto's um, Mephisto's hotel and his his casino, and uh, you know Doctor Strange, you know pushes through, knocking a demon aside, and and goes in for a word with Mephisto, and uh, you know he's he's not playing games, Doctor Strange, and he says, "Tell me, Devil." What is wrong with Peter Parker's soul? So I'm really interested to see where this is, where this is going, what what has happened through Kindred or whatever. So new start, yes, but there's some questions to be answered as well, uh, I would say. And uh, last, last but not least, uh, for me in the Marvel pile, and I think this is one that certainly Alan's on, maybe you as well, Paddy. I'm uh, not, no, no. You're not. No, no Warhammer for me. Right. Do you want to take this one, Alan? Well, if it's no Warhammer for you, you may change your mind if you read this because before I read... So we're talking about Warhammer 40k, Marnius Calgar. So this was a five-issue miniseries. Marvel acquired the license to Warhammer in comics form. Uh, it, it's done as an officially licensed product that's considered canon. My knowledge going into this of Warhammer was zero. My When I was growing up, my brother was quite into painting the models and he used to play a bit of Warhammer, but it was never my thing. But again, as we often preach on this show and in the store, follow creators. And Kieran Gillen was writing this. So I thought, if there's anybody who can introduce me to a world that has something to do with tabletop gaming, it's probably the guy who writes Die. And it had Jason Burroughs along for the art side of things, who, of course, was coming off of Punisher Soviet uh, with, with Garth Ennis. It's just a suitable level of gore there, I think. A suitable level of gore, a suitable level of violence, and a subtle nod and a wink to the to the to the reader about how ridiculous it all is and how over the top it all is but yeah patty i had zero interest in warhammer and then i read this and this was genuinely fantastic i i'd held back issue three four and five you know you know how sometimes when you have a few issues sitting there you get the one and you go I'm not in the mood for this i'll put it bottom of the pile and i kept doing that even though i enjoyed the first two but then five came out and i read three four and five back together and this is so fast paced so good with its world building I mean, there's even a great twist in it that kind of blew my mind about who Marius Calgar is. I can only imagine what it done to long-term Warhammer readers because mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. it must have blown their minds because this is apparently a character who's been in Warhammer for, for a long time and they just turned his origin and turned it on its head. But even just as a as a standalone, violent, post-apocalyptic, you know, mechs and grunts and just over-the-top violence almost... It's almost a mix for me between Mad Max and uh, Gears of War. And if that doesn't sell you on it, I don't think anything will. <laughs> but yeah, really enjoyed it. Uh, and you, you're the same, case. I don't think you had a lot of uh, a lot of exposure to Warhammer, did well, you? Well, I, I mean, I have a, a longer history with Warhammer 40k than 
than you do, I think, Alan. Um, That's not hard. But back in the back in the day, my brother and I used to buy whatever edition was out and pick up a lot of models, and we made a lot of scenery, uh, made an effort at painting the models. It was always too much work, and then we never got around to playing it. Uh, <laughs> so I've never actually played Warhammer Forty Thousand. I don't mm -hmm. think, to my to my memory. Uh, but I was familiar with the background of it and and what it was and the you know the living corpse of the emperor and and the you know the horrible things they do to space marines to make them into space marines and and all of that. I wasn't familiar with Marnius Kalgar's character or any other real specific uh, mythology of it, but but certainly the general shape of it. So this yeah this was this was great. It's just that that real dark future fantasy, dark fantasy future sort of thing. Uh, yeah, just really, yeah, really, yeah. As you say, I mean, perfect team. Kieran Gillen, they had those Hickman-esque little information pages throughout. You know, that just brought you up to date on a thing you were seeing on a page, or, or you know. So, and it was, yeah, it was great. It was, and it was great. The, the end of the story was great. You know how, how the the surgeries and stuff that Marnius Calgar had undergone to become a, you know, a space marine was what what saved them. You know, in the end and all of that sort. <laughs> and yes, the twist in the tale earlier on was was great and it you know because they had us so invested in the story by one or two issues in you and i were surprised and shocked by it but mm -hmm. as you say someone like maybe uh our buddies alan or or martin would maybe have been a wee bit more uh you know surprised by by what but yeah i really i really enjoyed this you know as you say all the the over the top sort of sort of violence you know that the story had a it was a great mechanism where you know marnius calgar was was telling his story and his history, uh, you know, to to a little, um, I guess, a little aid. Um, I can't remember what you what you called him. Um, a little adept uh, that, that came along with him, you know, a wee, a wee uh, machine adept. So he was relating the story, the story of his background, and and then of course the background flooded into modern day uh, and current day. Uh, so yeah, it was just a yeah. I would I guess this will be coming out as a trade. Yeah, the trade's already solicited. We've already got it in pre-order, so it, it shouldn't be too far away, certainly given the fifth issue came out uh, only a matter of weeks ago. So, mm, yeah, if, I mean, you, and... if you've even the slightest interest in it, just I really do recommend it as just a great one-off story. And, I'm, you know, I'm really excited to see what they'll do with this license next. I mean, this hopefully this won't be either be the end of the Warhammer 40,000 stuff or the Warhammer stuff because, as you say, it is an officially licensed product, so Marvel have have that license i guess over warhammer you know the fantasy battle stuff and the and the warhammer 40k so i'm really looking forward to i mean i hope kieran gillen stays around on it as well um, i know so. it's something that's very close to his heart so i do hope so i mean it's there hasn't been anything else solicited certainly single issue wise a sequel series anything like that but if marvel have went to the trouble of getting the license and trying to introduce a book to you know bring on new readers and so to speak and introduce people to the world of warhammer then I would imagine it wouldn't just be a one and done. So we'll keep an eye on the previews books and keep you up to date as ever. So, yeah, uh, so that's pretty much the Marvel side of things as well. So as we said uh, before, it was very much a case of Indy ruled the roost for us this week. And therefore, it's it's no surprise to see a, a, a smattering, if you will, of uh, honorable mentions in the indie category so there's a few titles in here we've chatted about before certainly and then there's one or two sort of number ones and jumping on points but you know it wouldn't be a, a reviews podcast without talking about the latest issue of something is killing the children 
I would love to go back and listen to all of our podcasts if I had the time and see if every single issue of this has had either a pick of the week or an honourable mention. It, it really does feel like it. But first of all, with issue 15, what is with all this colour on the cover? This this cover astounded me. I was like, what? Well, you know, this is this is a it's, a... it's kind of a brand new day, isn't it? Really was. It was sort of, you know... You don't want to say brighter days ahead because this is going to say stay a very relentless dark title without a doubt, and and in a way it was a really really dark issue that sort of showed how you know the the House of Slaughter deal with the aftermath of a monster attack in a small town, you know how they need someone to take the fall for it all, how they need everybody to basically keep quiet about what really happened here, and they come up with stories. I mean, this must have really appealed to you, Patty, with you know your love of Department of Truth and government conspiracies, because that's... Covers up, and cover yeah, ups. I thought this, yeah. this issue was fantastic. It was quite interesting, actually. I was reading an interview with James Tinian, or his newsletter, and he said this was the end of the story. This, this is all he had initially planned, was 15 issues, and that was it done. You know, the Archer's Peak was the end of Something's Killing the Children. But he said, you know, due to the response and, you know, fan demand, it's back again, I think, in May. Mm-hmm. Uh, quite interesting. I think the next arc is going to be Erica's origin story. Yeah. Seeing that solicited somewhere. Which... Yeah, I think we, we highlighted that in the previous podcast. I mean, that's the story we all want to know. It's yeah. it's interesting you saying that about Tinian saying this was the end because, you know, he, he almost tells us that by the last page where the dialogue is. So how far are you going? I honestly don't know, but I guess I'm going to find out. You know, it's that's pretty perfect. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's it is the end of our, I guess, our story in Archer's Peak. Uh, but fortunately, it will not be the end of uh, the story of our time with 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 Erica of the House of Slaughter. Um, I, I don't know. I thought it was a really satisfying end to the to the story, and but I'm really keen. I'm now left really keen to learn more about about the Order of St. George and the different houses in the house, in the Order of St. George, including the House of Slaughter. Uh, but one thing that, that was totally brilliant about uh, about this, did you notice it's the first issue that uh, that something's missing? Yep, it, it's the first issue that a double-page spread doesn't say those eponymous title words. Something is killing the children, but yeah. the, the double-page spread does say one, one week, week later. later. <laughs> because I guess now... You, there isn't something killing the children because Eric has killed it. Yeah, um, I mean, er- Eric is definitely one of the best characters, I think, that's come along in indie comics in the last couple of years. So the idea of getting more of her adventures, finding out the origin and stuff is brilliant. I mean, you knew this was going to be a great issue as soon as you opened it because that first page, that splash page of just Erica sort of battle-worn and weary and bleeding. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just I thought the art was a step up in this issue as well. The art's always been good, you know, don't get me wrong, but... I thought the art really took a step up in this issue. Loads of interesting panel layouts, double page spreads with almost like widescreen type panels, and it actually begins and ends with a splash page as well. It does, and I mean, it, it, there's something to be said for the slightly brighter colours, certainly in the latter half of the book. Yeah, um, as well. So that yeah, it's yeah, really just really just really enjoyed this. You know, just really really loved it. Um, Even it was the- definitely definitely like an epilogue, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, even the cover, you know, obviously it has that brightness, but I love the sign as well. It says, now leave in Wisconsin, protect Wisconsin children. <laughs> you know, just uh, nice and subtle. But yeah, it's it's a book that I think even going back as far as like previews podcasts when we when this was first solicited, I'm nearly sure it said one of six. And, it there, and it then did. again, the responses, as Paddy mentioned there, had been so good that they obviously decided to continue. But 
it's not like it's ever felt that they're dragging it out or you know milking it or anything like that yeah, it's just really good on, just yeah. really good storytelling it's very very good so yeah there's a lot of a lot of good stuff. i mean and you say you know we don't really know anything about erica we don't you know she's a she's a she's a lady of few words yeah i think it's just her badassery is is why she's a great character but even <laughs> even the way she's grown as well you know giving the child a hug on the bus at the end and enjoying that and you know not wanting to just cover this all up and that's it you know i i don't know I, you can just tell she's grown as a character but i just love the design of her and the sort of relentless nature of the character so um yeah uh, but again anything tinian we're going to be on board with so uh yeah so that is something's called the children number 15 we also had the next issue of crossover so we're up to number four with it and I guess all of our early speculation that Donny Cates was masterminding behind the scenes a crossover for DC and Marvel is thoroughly out the window at this point. Uh, the little girl in issue one was not drawing Superman. She was drawing Madman. Uh, <laughs> we also get Donny starting to cross over some of his other works. You know, you've got characters jumping in from uh, a, a title called God Country, which if you've never read it, I can't recommend enough. It's all to do with this mystical sword and this old man on a farm protecting his his uh, his family. So, uh, but yeah, I really dug this. I mean, I could understand. I know Keith and I were chatting a little bit beforehand about how you know you hadn't read God Country and you weren't a big Madman fan, so maybe some of these aren't having the impact on you the way that uh, the way that they would with others. But I'm sure you still notice things like you know nods to Captain America's shield in the background broken, yeah, hanging up on the wall. Yeah, and, I mean. I mean, it's not that. It's not that. I, this, this probably. I mean, I'm loving the. I'm loving the story. I'm loving the the story generally. This was a great issue. Lovely looking. Jeff Shaw's doing doing fantastic work with the panel structures, uh, and there was an awful lot going on. And I mean, Donny Cates, he's make, he is making it feel like an actual major comic crossover with all those wee, those those moments, you know. But I guess because I haven't read God Country, not a Madman fan. There was a bunch of the, you know, the, the, the moments that were that were lost on me mm-hmm. uh, a wee bit, but certainly would would drive me in the direction of, of God Country, and it was cool that, that Donny Cates put in that wee, you know, here's what's cool about that sword, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> but yeah, but I would, yes, be, the, I would was... be the same as you, Keith, enjoying the story, but as you said, I'm, I'm maybe not getting the reveals and the you know the cameos and plot twists and stuff but it, it, it is it is a good series you know it's i think i maybe lost interest a wee bit when issue three was kind of meh what's going on but then is it going to be a case of we hyped it up i hyped it up too much in my own head you know is this the dc marvel crossover uh but no uh, yeah i'll be sticking with this for a while anyway well, it was good to hear. I mean, it's worth it just for the art. I think alone. I think Jeff Shaw's having a lot of fun in this. Yeah, thanks, Dave. It's uh, it's it's almost like a love letter to sort of the four color world, I suppose, of comics. So you can't really go wrong with that. But let's have just as every issue of something is killing the children has been mentioned by myself and Keith the whole way through this. Every issue of the Department of Truth is mentioned by you. So what's up this on issue week, six? This week is number six, and. It takes a break from the main storyline. We haven't got uh, art by Martin Simmons. Instead, it is... I'm going to pass to you, Alan, because Elsa I will massively... It is Elsa Chartier. Chartier. Uh, yeah, so I think what they're going to do... Uh, I know they have uh, a guest artist next week. 
I think whenever the guest artists are going to be on, the story isn't going to involve Cole. It's going to, so this issue focuses on Lee Harvey Oswald when he first joins uh, the Department of Truth. He, he, he picks up a book and that book turns out to be kind of the, the origins or the story of how the Illuminati came to be. Uh, I know next week's is Titleist Issues called Men in Black. So I'm thinking we're going to have something similar where he reads a book and it informs him on the Men in Black. And then from issue eight, we will jump back on to the main story. I, I like the idea. The art this week wasn't really for me, given how good it's been on the first five issues. It wasn't bad. It just, you know, I'm used to that format with with Department of Truth. But if that's how they're going to do it, I, I'm excited. Yeah, I think it's a good way of doing it. A good way to fill us in on old, old conspiracies that, that maybe will play a part in the story but aren't overly essential to it uh and i'm absolutely loving to see what they have in store for men in black uh, yeah i mean i so yeah it was it obviously was the first time we've we've diverged from from martin simmons art who i mean and and jesus he does all kinds of art you know what i mean it's it's it's, it's really incredible but i thought i thought the the change in art suited this step back you know so we we, we started off with a step back into Lee Harvey Oswald's first days, you know, after he was assassinated, uh, in inverted commas, uh, his first days with uh, with the Department of Truth, and he's he's told if he wants to be part of this thing, he's going to effectively have to do a lot of reading. So then we're taken much much further back into, you know, about the end of the first millennium, and there's this, you know, there's that interaction between the the monk uh, and and the widow. So it's been interesting because you've sort of been wondering you've, you've got a glimpse into the into the modern history of the department of truth but it's great you know i was interested to see just how far the whole conspiracy thing went back and how far the idea of the department of truth went back and so i thought it was a big it was kind of a big reveal actually you know back in 1000 ad and you know the idea that they made up this lie that the you know the the, the roman empire fell at a different time than it had done in order that they could make up the the idea of Charlemagne, so the idea that, that Charlemagne isn't isn't a real person, and in fact, it was that was the whole idea to to give power to the to the Catholic Church and the the Holy Roman Emperor, the Holy Roman Emperor through the through the Church and the oh, it was it was great stuff. Like it was really it was really interesting. Um, I mean, Tinian just doing his doing doing. I thought it was fascinating. It was fascinating stuff. But yeah, very different, very different. So I'm with you, Paddy. I would be. I would be happy to see this as as occasional interlude, you know, maybe once every five issues or whatever. I suppose the main thing is that if it gives Martin Simmons a chance to get ahead on the work and make sure that the issues are coming out on time and stuff like that, I don't mind filling artists for projects as long as they're treated like this, where it's sort of a one-off story or it's delving into the history. Like if this had have followed, you know, the main characters that we've established through the series mm-hmm, and just continued mm-hmm. that narrative, it would be much more jarring. It would, yeah, but, but because it's it's sort of a side story, you know. So I think. Uh, it works. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think probably calling it a side story is maybe doing it a wee bit of a disservice because I think it's it's very much like an origin story, um, and I think you're right, Alan. I think because this, you know, the 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 art felt like those flat you know vellum pages you know the sort of art you get in those ancient ancient books yeah like scrolls uh, and stuff yeah like yeah yeah so so yeah it was it was really interesting really interesting yeah so uh the inevitable department of truth update from patty there i should also say that the first trade came out that same week so 
uh we've we've copies of it in the store it's it's come out at that really great image price point of nine pounds so if you're missing out on it so far definitely catch up on trade we've got a few more indie ones just to throw out some notice for a couple from yourself keith yeah so are you on post americana so i have the first three issues there post americana was another one of those great ones where i ran out of issue ones <laughs> and by the time i got issue one in Issue two and three, right? So now I have one, two, and three in my box. Three. Uh, I'll not say, I'll not say too much. Uh, there, there has been a uh, cannibal nightmare in the the recent past. Uh, there has it's it follows a character who has has come from, um, uh, I guess, a, a bunker where a lot of the rich, you know, the government and whatnot, head out, you know, during a during a, an, an apocalypse, and now they're intent to. To spill out with all their war machines and and um, and I guess cleanse the American wasteland of, of of everyone's there, so they can take back they can take back America. So our our protagonist uh, Mike has escaped from here. He was part of a rebellion and has, has come to the American wasteland to try and and warn or, or change this particular way. But it's an absolutely mental book. Like it's crazy. Um, really, really. I guess there's a lot of there's been a lot of fast paced stuff in the last couple of issues, and this is the first. This is the first time we've taken a chance just to relax, and and there was a lot of text and a lot of a lot of backstory that we've been waiting for. Um, yeah, I mean, I I think this was maybe my favorite issue of this title. I think if this issue hadn't been this issue, I would have maybe been thinking about saying goodbye to the title. I agree a hundred percent with you, Keith. I yeah, did, yeah, did, I enjoyed the first two, but they weren't overly gripping. But you know, with the backstory in this issue, it, it certainly kept me on board i think it's only is it five it's a five issue is it six issue maybe yeah yeah absolutely and and steve's gross is on the writing and the art um and he, the, the art's lovely the art's really nice uh, it's really uh it's really really enjoy it. it really suits the book uh so yeah enjoy this enjoy this i hope you enjoy it whenever you get to it all no, definitely looking forward to it. It's Ski Steve Scrooge on art, isn't it? So that yeah, uh, he's I say he's both the writer and the artist. That'll be enough to get me interested. Worked on a really, uh, really underrated and little scene series called We Stand on Guard with Brian K. Vaughan. And usually, Brian K. Vaughan can never be accused of having a lesser known series, shall we say? But uh, it was just six <laughs> issues. It was to do with like mechs and the war between Canada and America and stuff. It's really, really good. Great art on that. So that's that one. Next one up is is another title that actually I benefited from reading a few issues of this back to back. Uh, so this week saw the release of American Ronin number five. So once again, another AWA title, another one that has a, a finite amount of issues. It's either four issues, five issues, six issues for their miniseries so far. With this one, it's five. But this definitely ended in a way where we could be looking at a second volume. Uh, this really benefited from reading a couple back to back as well. I think because there's so much going on in this book, there's a lot, a lot of the world building is quite complex in it, and I kind of think you need that momentum to really get the best out of it. Uh, really good title, really, really digging it. I know you're reading it as well, Keith, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, this was the, as you say. I'm really. By the time it came to the end of this issue, I thought, I thought, oh god, I mean, have they resolved this the story to to the point of that uh, that. It, I'm I'm satisfied, and then I saw oh yeah they're going to be con they're going to continue in that way that that AWA have been uh, so yeah this was Jesus this was a really it was hard to tell sometimes and and I think that was the point 
at this point in the story, our protagonist and our antagonist are so mixed up in each other, literally, <laughs> that it was hard to tell if it was one experiencing the other's nightmares or or, or one empathising with the other or, you know, one experiencing the other's nightmares while empathising. It was it was because of the nature of their the Ronan's powers, uh, the operative's powers, you know, and the mental chains that they have on each other and, and all of that stuff. It was, yeah, it was really, it was really good, really, really in-depth, you know. It, it really developed as a story. And I think, I think, I think, you know, Peter, I'd, I would love to see Peter Milligan's plot for this, um, because there really is a there really is a lot uh, there's a lot going on in it. But yeah, it was a as it turned out, it was a satisfying end to the arc, and I'm looking forward to to seeing to seeing where it goes. Uh, you weren't on this at all, Paddy? No, I trade read AWA. Well, try to anyway, but they just seem to bring out so many trades now. It's just I, I'll I'll pick which ones kind of kind of stand out. I think this will be one of the ones I do pick up. Mm, I think so. And the art, the art was great as well by uh, by Echo. Uh, so yeah, I enjoyed this. I really enjoyed this. You don't find out too much about the characters personally. They're, you know, they don't know. I guess they're a wee bit Weapon X-y, aren't they? They yeah. don't really know a lot about their own background, you know, and, and, and certainly the American Ronan. Uh, I can't remember. We did, I think his, his name was Therso or something by the end of it. Uh, we do. He does seem to have a, a chance at some sort of life by the end of this. Uh, so yeah, it was very enjoyable. Very enjoyable. Yeah, the good thing is as well that it's with all AWA Volume One Summer Damage are all nine pounds. So had another one come out this week actually through a delivery, Grendel, Kentucky, which was actually really good for issue mini. Uh, might be worth picking up as well. So, but yeah, American Ronin, very complex, lots of depth there, and more than happy to jump onto a second volume of that, which seems to be the AWA model, as I've spoke about before. If a series does well, they'll they'll go with a, a, a volume two. So, just a couple more to finish off with. There was a new, a couple of new number ones. Uh, we had one called Two Moons, which was a new title written by John Arcudi, art by Valerio Gian Giordano. And Dave Stewart on colours. I enjoyed this issue. I did have that momentary panic of when I opened up the first page. And <laughs> one of my bugbears in comics. And I say this even though it's used in one of my absolute favourite comics of all time. Which is Batman Year One. Is handwritten narration. You know, the joined up writing. And it's almost like a calligraphy type style of writing. And it bugs the life out of me. Because I think it's actually quite hard to read. And that's what this starts off with. But thankfully it doesn't last too long. But yeah, this, uh, just for personal information, this is not based on a true story. I can tell you, <laughs> Paddy. Uh, but it, it is, it is, is historical. Based on, it is nature, based yeah. on a true event or a true period, I suppose. Um, I enjoyed this issue. I thought it was a good first issue. It raised lots of questions. There was some great imagery and artwork in it. Uh, I must admit it didn't grab me as much until I read the essay at the back where with John Arcudi talking about his influences and the story that he wanted to tell mm. and so forth. Uh, there's a little essay at the back called Two Moons and Many Miles where he talks about how he's had this idea for a long, long time. Uh, but I understand you were quite the fan of this, Keith. Yeah, I really, I really enjoyed it, Alan. Um, it sort of it, it had me from the point it was announced in previews. I was going, this is, this is really interesting. So it, the, the protagonist is... Uh, a man, a young, a young pony man uh, named Virgil Morris. His tribal name is Two Moons, and he's fighting for the Union during the Civil War. 
uh, against against slavery and such. But he he's also, you know, in addition, he was he was raised he was raised by by white people, and he he seems to find himself straddling two lines: the the identity, you know, his 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 ethnic identity, his inherent identity, and the the identity that. You know, he's the world sees him as you know the, the he he nearly feels like he's totally accepted into the, you know, into the Union Army, uh, but there's a lot of indications that they never get past that, I guess that that racism nearly, you know, so I think that you know when he's 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 got he's 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 got the he experiences a like a vision of his grandfather and there's you know there's his shamanic roots. And he starts to see things that maybe he wasn't seeing before, and that's where we we start to introduce the the, the fantasy elements and the and the horror elements, uh, which separate this from a from a true story, Paddy. Um, <laughs> you, you know, and uh, so yeah, I thought this was I thought it was it was really well paced. You know, it, it was a real good stage setter. Um, yeah, maybe had a maybe yeah. I mean, yeah, I I thought it was I thought it was great. I, I think we know what sort of story we're expecting now. Uh, or or something like it. We have a rough idea, um, and I'm really interested to see how how things go for for Virgil Morris uh, as we move here. The 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 art was lovely, uh, really really enjoyable. Yeah, really enjoyed, there was some know, the... some great double page spreads and and sort of war set pieces in it and stuff like that. It was just a bit jarring in places. I found you know, and and I suppose that was its intention. Where, as you say, there's the part where he's talking to his grandfather on one page, then you turn the page and the body's lying there wrapped up. Yeah. And a yeah, nurse was in yeah. saying, oh, I found him down the road and brought him back. Yeah, and and he's was talking like, to a dead body. Like, or, I had to flick yeah. back the page and sort of go, did I miss something? But, yeah, but, but I, that's I mean, kind I of the, the point, yeah. you know? Yeah, I did the same thing. I flipped, and then I flipped over and, and oh, I went, oh, he's, this is what he's seeing. Yeah. You know, so, so yeah, it was it was very good. So, yeah, a lot of, yeah, blood and blood and magic and, and, a, and a tale of, of, of the Civil War and and that and you know what what the writer says is he's just he's kind of fed up seeing uh the way that that native americans are are very often depicted you know within certain certain roles uh within certain roles within uh stories uh you know whether that's the that, that that's the wisdom of nature you know that sort of thing or whether it's you know so uh, yeah it's really I'll be really glad, really interested to see how this character develops and the story develops. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely on board for another few issues. It, and again, it's it's interesting. It was the essay at the back that grabbed me and made me think like there's there's a lot going on here, and I'll I'll certainly continue with it. So, yeah, two moons number one. We're gonna cheat slightly here and just bring a little bit of notice to a, a series that actually came out a few weeks previously. But you know, through the magic of not getting through our pull lists, always on time. Uh, Keith and I just both read this totally randomly. We both read it today, but this was Radiant Black number one. This was definitely one of the biggest image launches of the year so far. A new series from Kyle Higgins and Marcelo Costa on art. And this was not what I was expecting. I had this down as like, I've never read any of Kyle Higgins Power Rangers stuff. Cause I'm just, I'm not a Power Rangers guy. It's just, it's not my thing. And I sort of thought like, is this going to be an independent version of it? And uh, it just it really threw me for a loop because it, it kicked off with this character you're being introduced to essentially is working as an Uber driver. He's trying to secure a loan at the start of the issue, even though he's like 40 grand in debt. But he he throws out the old classic. No, no, this will help me get out of it. 
he seems to be like a field novelist he's he's working on something but he's got a publisher lined up but it's it, once it all comes together it's all going to work and and then he comes back to this small town moves back in with his parents and you know th- this is where i found it really interesting it was all about that idea of you know life moving too fast and the gre- the regrets you had for not quite living up to your potential and you feel like you're letting everybody down by coming back and then the book just takes a complete left turn in the middle out of absolutely nowhere <laughs> like this could have been a totally different book about just exploring <laughs> this guy in a small town but then you know what it reminded me of alan mm-hmm. it reminded me of the start of Stillwater. where it's just these two guys out getting drunk and yeah, then next thing they're, they're in this town where people can't die <laughs> so it's just but i mean there's 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 a there's a more than a sniff of invincible about it um i have i did enjoy kyle higgins was he he was was kyle higgins on the ultraman stuff uh kyle higgins is ultraman yeah and, and also yeah. i believe writing that lovely big nightwing omnibus that you yes that's yes that's right but but yeah i mean uh, the the main character nathan uh was he's he's just turned 30 you know and as you say things aren't great and i, I don't know it's just I thought he was a really relatable character. Yeah. I thought he was a really, you know, and I, thought, I think that's what that, that's exactly what you're saying. That's what what what, what grabbed you first of all. And yeah, I did so, not expect this yeah. to be like a grounded tale at the start. You know what I mean? And that's yeah. what and that's what it felt like. So uh, yeah, I just thought it was a really a really promising, really promising beginning. Uh, you know, great main character, uh, fresh you know origin story very very entertaining very engaging really interested in seeing what this poor guy has got himself attached to uh where it takes him whether it helps him fulfill his potential uh or whether it's absolutely gonna put him in a worse situation so <laughs> and 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 then there, there, there's always the fun of exploring his powers i mean that's what really we're in this for aren't we yeah <laughs> you know so but even the so, characters yeah. are well developed in it you know you've got the mother who's just so happy to have her son back home you've got the best friend who's never really left town and is sort of the the jack the lad around town sort of thing you know you've got the dad who's almost the i told you so sort of character he's like oh it's a miracle anyone makes a living that business you know it's not easy admit that you you failed you know <laughs> you failed you know all this kind of yet, stuff dad. so i know you weren't quite as taken with this patty as we were i enjoyed it but kind of as i said before we started recording it's i haven't been reading comics long less than a year but i felt like i'd read that issue before i felt like it was an origin story that i've seen two or three times whether it be in comics or movies tv you know guy finds a mysterious object touches it gets superpowers uh i do think the the end of it though i think that's going to be another version of him that's been created I think it's very telling that uh, the Reds, you know, could be an evil version of himself because he's a lot in debt and the evil character's robbing a bank. So I'm thinking that's possibly what could happen, but I'm going to stay with it for a couple of issues. Uh, It just felt very, very similar to me. Like I'd read it or seen it before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it looks great as well. Uh, Marcelo Costa's art was lovely. Yeah, some nice splash pages, nice character moments, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I I, I understand what you're saying, but to a degree, it's it, it can be hard to come up with completely original ideas, I suppose. But for me, if you're going to continue with a book like this, you have to like and relate to the characters, and I think that's what Higgins has done really well in this. He's created characters to root for, 
you know what I mean? We we've all been there where we wouldn't have minded that little bit more money or that little bit more success or you know, you have these regrets in life or whatever and, and I think that's key to the book. And again I go back to it, it's not what I was expecting from the book at all. And I'll I'll I do like your theory of it being like an evil version of him. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I, I just thought that was a really great last page because you've spent this whole issue making this seem like a one off event that happened to someone and it literally finishes with the line I'd say you're pretty one of a kind while showing you that he's clearly not. So yeah, just thought it was really well written. I thought it deserved a little bit of a shout out because I think we glossed over it when we uh when the release week came out because we hadn't actually got to it unfortunately. So yeah, Radiant Black number one. Second prints of it actually came out just this week. So if you're a little late to the party and like the sound of it, uh get in touch and let us know. And then we'll finish off then with one last one. I know it's a series you've shown a bit of love at before, Keith, but I think this was the yeah. last issue. It was, and that's why I mention it, because I'm quite sure the collected edition will be coming out fairly fairly shortly. And this is uh, this is from Dark Horse, and this is Stranger Things and Dungeons & Dragons issue 4, all four. Uh, I haven't really invested too much in the Stranger Things comics before this, but the Dungeons & Dragons end of things really really got me. Uh, Jody Hauser and Jim Zub on writing, uh, and Diego Galindo uh, on, on the line art. But these four issues have been great. They just popped in and out of various points of the Stranger Things kids' lives, and we pop in here now as as Will and his family are about to leave, about to leave Hawkins. The gang have survived the whole lot, you know, from bullies to extra-dimensional rich horrors, and and now Will is moving away, and that's probably even more impactful for them that they may only have, they may only have one night to finish their their last epic Dungeons and Dragons campaign. Uh, and uh, you know it starts the bookstore the Hawkins bookstore where they find that the D&D books at the start closes and that's just a great story Mike normally is the GM and, and Will asks him if, you know he says it's, can I GM it's it's fitting that I GM at the end and it's it's set against the backstory of them packing up the house and, and Will runs them through a really emotional a really emotional adventure that touches upon you know Elle is playing a sorceress but she doesn't want to play anymore because it looks like some of the characters might die and she doesn't want that she can't deal with that after all the trauma she's been through and and he just runs a really a really lovely story that leaves them just in a, in a great position to con- continue on with without him uh but yeah it was just it was just a lovely it's just a, a great four issue uh a great four issue series uh that i recommend you would you, you pick up and and trade if you're interested in either stranger things or dungeons and dragons uh, and, and especially if you're interested in both just be- beautifully beautifully scripted and, and lovely plotted uh i guess nearly issue to issue it's more like it is more like a compendium um with that with that focus that that dungeons and dragons focus for the the stranger things kids you know and how that has brought them together and kept them together uh, and i guess that just resonates with me yeah the stranger things books in general tend to go down well with fans they certainly sell well in the store i know jody hauser's been on some of them and you know they, they've they've they're clearly not just an afterthought which i think is always the worry when you you know, a big TV show comes along and there's a tie-in comic book or whatever, you know, it's just like a little cash grab, but they seem to have put real effort and focus into them and and it always seemed like a natural crossover doing it with Dungeons and Dragons given the uh given the show itself. So Yeah, it's it's kind of it's been a really poignant sort of a sort of a series. It definitely has. It definitely delves into how things have impacted the kids and whatnot. Um but yeah, very very enjoyable for issue. Uh, I'm glad you enjoyed issue. it, Keith, because I remember you talked issue one, I think, as well, was 
one of your picks of the week and you said you, you weren't sure if it was going to continue and but it, it's great you know that at four issues later it's still yeah yeah i mean every one of those issues patty i could probably have i've chatted about and i think i think i, I definitely honorably mentioned nearly all of them uh so yeah it was a good uh good good four issue story Cool. So that is pretty much the honourable mentions covered then. So we're going to then jump into picks of the week. So I think it's important to note that when it comes to picks of the week, it's not always just going to be titles that are brand new number ones or necessarily even a jumping on point for series. Sometimes we just want to spotlight series that are quite deep into their runs that are certainly collectible through trades and stuff like that. But the storytelling continues to be so good. We just want to bring more attention to it and hopefully give you a cool new series to read. And, and I can see that's definitely the case with this week's pick, certainly for two out of the three. And it's also interesting as well that even though we probably talked there for eight or nine minutes about DC, 10 minutes of Marvel, half an hour, 40 minutes on indie, our three picks of the week are all indie picks as well. So it just continues to show the quality of indie comics at the moment. So I'm going to kick things off from myself and it's probably a series you've heard me talk about before but I'm going to keep talking about it till I'm blue in the face and until you have all read it. And uh, my pick of the week for this week was Nailbiter Returns number 10 which is written by Joshua Williamson who of course has done such great DC work recently. Massive run on The Flash for example that I know Keith was a huge fan of. Uh, has been doing great work on, on other DC titles as well. And then the artist is Mike Henderson. So what an issue. This actually had me cheering in bed at half one in the morning. Much <laughs> to the delight of my neighbors. Like the last four or five pages, I, I turned to Vicky straight. She's never read it either, despite my insistence. And I own every issue of it. First print since the, the week it came out. I believe it was back in like 2012, 2013 it came out. And... Uh, I turned to her and I was like, you need to read this. Like my excitement was like, you need to read this. And the, the main regular that I chat to in store about it is Alan McCourt and Alan reads it. And I really wanted to message him and go, have you read Neil better yet? But I thought it's a bit late. So I did it at half nine in the morning instead. <laughs> and he was like, yes, it was so good. But anyway, right. So we reached the end of the second arc of returns and the end of issue 40 of the series in general. So for those who don't know, so Neil follows uh, a story set in Buckaroo, Oregon. And this small town has given birth to 16 of the worst serial killers in the world. And an obsessed FBI profiler investigates the town trying to figure out what happened. He goes missing, so his partner then goes in to investigate his disappearance and also what makes these serial killers. You know, where do serial killers come from? Is it is it all in the mind? Is it something in the water supply? Is it how they're raised? So it, it explores loads of really good ideas of psychology and about people taking the wrong turn in life that leads them down a darker path, that kind of thing. But the reason it's called Nailbiter is that the main one of the main characters in it is called Edward Warren, and he is one of the sixteen serial killers. He's one. Of, he lives in the town, and everybody knows he's the Nailbiter, but a court acquitted him of it. So he walks down the street like no one can touch me, but everyone knows he is guilty and he plays up to it and loves the celebrity of it and all this kind of stuff. So anyway, so Neil Bader ran for 30 issues and the end of those 30 issues, it was extremely satisfying. You know, it ended on a jump scare and a traditional horror trope as well. That was extremely satisfying. And I thought there would never be any more. 
So when Neil Bider Returns was announced, I was I was genuinely excited, but also really curious as to what they had to say about Warren and his enjoyment of biting nails of his victims, but getting away with it. You know, what more was there to say? You had told a brilliant story that ended really well. But who would have guessed that they were actually able to turn him into a sympathetic, somewhat broken man? You know, through Returns, we delve into his past a lot and his relationship with uh, one of the uh, police officers of the of the town who is called Sheriff Crane. You know, she gave birth to his child. But it also goes into when he was younger and he had an affair with another girl called Penny in high school. Uh, and he had this affair behind Crane's back. You know, back in that time where every woman you met for the first time was the love of your life and you know, all this kind of stuff. But the other thing that it focuses on in, in this uh, series, Neil Bider Returns, is that there are violent copycat murderers imitating the famous buckaroo butchers and all those serial killers. And they've all started in Portland, Oregon. And if the original detective from the first series wants to find out what's going to happen, he'll have to team up with the nail biter himself to, you know, to come on board and help them out with it. The thing is, there's there's been 40 issues now in total, and it really feels like they're just getting started. There is so much, so many different directions this story could go in. The last few pages, like they haven't announced whether they're going to continue or not. God, I hope they do. Because how it ends, it just blew my mind. It's it set it up for a really interesting direction. A really, um, you, you know, you, you've delved into his personality. You've delved into his past. You've delved into what makes him tick. But now it's all about what type of character he can be moving forward. And what has he learned along the way. And and how issue 10 ended. Like genuinely, I had the biggest sloppiest smile on my face. And it was the third issue I'd read that week and I just thought nothing is going to beat this. And I can be prone to saying that very quickly with issues, as Keith will tell you. <laughs> very quickly, just going, that's my pick of the week. But nothing was going to beat this. I cannot recommend this series enough if you're a fan. It's one of the most cinematic series you will read. And like How this has not been optioned for TV is beyond me. This is a Netflix show waiting to happen. Uh, it's full of charm. It's full of horror. Uh, there's a lot of humor to it as well. But there's also character development. There's also, um, you know, an interesting central core mystery to it as well. And it even goes into mythical ideas and stuff like that. So I just want to showcase it this week because it was by far my standout issue of the week. By no means is this a jumping home point. Go back to the very start and read it. There's a couple of different ways you can do it. There's the single issues, of course. There are trades out from Image. Uh, which cover five or six issues at a time. The first one, again, is that really good image price point, £9. Even if you just want to give the first issue a go, we've got image firsts in store of issue one, which is a pound for the issue. And then they also did these murder editions as well, which were like 10 issues to an edition, which were hardcovers. And me being me, of course, I have those hardcovers, but I also have all the single issues as well. So cannot recommend enough. Easily my issue of the week this week don't just pick it up because it'll mean nothing to you if you haven't read the previous 39 issues you two need to read this like i was about to say it sounds fascinating you need it's the first to. i've it's so so good man it is it is one of like i still remember going in i lived in cambridge at the time i remember the day i picked it up and i i saw the cover and the cover's this close-up of uh warren from the side and he's biting his nails and there's loads of blood coming out and it's like explosive first issue or something like that something really stupid and over the top but it's a really grotesque and arresting image and i was like i'm picking this up no problem straight away i had a pull list in the forbidden planet in cambridge at the time and went back in the next day and went can you please sub me to that because that is fantastic 
and I've it's always satisfying when you when you followed a series for so long and seen it grow and find enough of an audience that they've got more story to tell you know we chatted about something is killing the children earlier that that's a series that you know we can say like we were on it from the start and it was great to see it grow and this and that that's what neil biter is for me and here it is a decade later going strong so if you not that you've ever run out of stuff to read but if you're ever looking something really good to jump into get into neil biter because it is awesome and joshua williamson and joshua, joshua williamson, williamson. You know, again, follow the creators. And Mike Henderson, the artist, is not someone I, I've really seen do an awful lot else outside of Neil Bider. So yeah, Image Comics, my pick of the week, Neil Bider Returns, number 10. And that is my pitch over for Neil Bider. Uh, what about yourself, Paddy? What was your pick of the week for the 24th of February? I haven't got one that can, can follow that, uh, that excellent uh, pitch for Neil Bider. Uh, no, I went for Paranormal Hitman number one, written by Brett Murphy and art by Wilson Gandolfo. This was kind of summed up in the previews book by The Sopranos meets Ghostbusters. And that's all I needed to hear. That's a pitch. Uh, so it features two characters. We have Gene Rizzo and Devin Grace, who are two hitmen with the Mafia. They get recruited into the mysterious USPAA, which is the United States Paranormal Activity Agency. Uh, set in 1978, issue one starts up with the two main characters, Rizzo and Grace, on a hit. This hit doesn't so much go wrong, but they are recruited by the USPAA. We then flash back to 1970. Uh, it turns out the USPAA had developed a Spectre Cube cube that works by taking physical objects that belong to the deceased to the cube and bring them back to life however what they discovered was that for example if they used a gun that person who came back then could use the gun uh, so they had to create special bullets that were able to kill the undead uh, dr mooney who is the the scientist that, that created the cube he then steals it for his own his own benefit he wants to bring back his his dead wife, uh, and that's kind of the first case that Rizzo and Gene are given is get the cube back at all costs. Uh, the issue kind of ends then with Alfonso Carboni, who was uh, their boss, Rizzo and Davin's boss, uh, very senior mafia guy. You're kind of introduced to him through the issue, uh, and he just gets in touch with Dr. Mo Dr. Dr. Mooney and says, I believe you know a thing or two about ghosts. So he kind of has it in for, he's convinced that his two best hitmen have turned and are now working as informants. So he's determined to, to seek revenge on them. Yeah, I, I love this. As soon as, you know, I read it in the previews book, I think I read the previews book in store that day, I said the Alan threw that on for me. My only issue with it was, it seemed like a very small issue. I know you read it, Alan. Did did you think the same? It's sort of, it's interesting because I think sometimes comics, it's it's to do with how they're packaged as well. And this was a an issue that there's zero adverts for anything else in. So maybe it just feels like, I know what you mean, yeah. you know, it feels like a slightly shorter issue as a result. But it also means that it flows well. Yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed this. I, I love the, the two main hitmen in it. I thought it was really good. Um, chemistry between them i really liked at the end of the issue as well you had that sort of faux pas <laughs> <Yeah>. advert for <laughs> yeah. 
you know, Carboni Meats Packing Company and that kind of thing. You know, where they're they're f- filming this advert and there's a dead body in the background. They're like, cut, cut, get rid of that dead body in the background and <laughs> let us do what we were doing. But yeah, I thought there was a lot of charm to it. I thought it was fun. I, I love the the guy in the shell suit and the big moustache who clearly just looks like he's walked out of the Harry Enfield show uh, as well. But yeah. Calm down, calm down. But yeah, again, I'd mentioned, I think, before about the the label Behemoth, and they were doing some interesting stuff. So I think it's definitely a comic label to keep an eye out for. They did uh, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, which was a good adaptation. And there was one I recommended in the previews book coming up. I think it's called Freak Snow that looks really good. So a bit of a label to keep an eye out for. Nice cardstock covers as well and good paper quality. So um, The art on it was fantastic as well. I thought it was really well drawn. You know, it's... Yeah. And I love this, you know, that this this high end paper you get. You don't get it with Marvel or DC. It seems to be a very indie thing, you know. It's yeah. Well, I suppose within the maybe, I suppose with Marvel and DC, I suppose they mass produce their books so much. Yeah. You know, I suppose there is that as well. Plus, with indie books, what it tends to be, this maybe slightly off topic, but topic. But I think with most indie books, creators basically make money back end. So therefore. You know they have to sell x amount to make money on it so to speak whereas with marvel and dc you're paid a salary so yeah it doesn't matter if a book's successful or not you'll get paid the same amount so they obviously want to keep costs down whereas they can say to the creators of an indie book look we can use good cardstock and good paper quality but we'll need to sell more copies before you see a back end if that makes sense so uh i think that's probably how that works but yeah no really good first issue and, and again it's a it's a label definitely to uh to keep an eye out for uh, so, yeah, Paranormal Hitman number one, Paddy's pick of the week for February 24th. And just very quickly before I jump on to Keith's pick of the week, one thing I forgot to say about Nailbiter is if I didn't say enough. <laughs> if this doesn't sell you on a Keith nothing, well, there's an issue of it. It was issue seven of the first series and a, co- and a guest stars, Brian Michael Bendis. And he, yeah. he plays himself going to the town of Buckaroo to uh, research for a new comic he's working on. So uh, really, really good issue. Anyway, I just wanted to throw that in there. Tell us who your pick of the week is, Keith, for February 24th. Uh, I, I can hold out no longer, Alan. <laughs> uh, I've been I've been holding out since about March 2018 uh, and, 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 and not picking an issue of Levian Song as a pick of the week because... You know, Roddy maybe was collecting a trade, or or you were you were sort of trade reading for a while and and whatnot. But I just I, I can't in, in all good in all decency and honesty, I can't not uh, I can't not pick Oblivion Song Thirty from uh, from Robert Kirkman and Lorenzo De Felici uh, from Image uh, as my pick of the week this week. So the story of I guess it's a Oblivion Songs, it's a supernatural science fiction story. It's a story of Nathan Cole. Um, over over a decade ago, a huge part of Philadelphia, along with 300,000 citizens, were lost in this hellscape uh, as this transference occurred that transferred a part of Philadelphia into this hellscape known as Oblivion. And this Oblivion, the sexy matching section of Oblivion, into the middle of Philadelphia. A lot has happened since then. You know, Nathan was always the one man. He was he was he was the one man who was making daily trips to try and to try and rescue those people still living in that in that hellscape, and uh, and at the same time searching for his lost brother Ed, 
and returning him to, to earth and, and, and finding out the reason for the transference. There's a whole, you know, uh, US military involvement and, and they have questions about what happened and whether or not it could happen again. And and then we've had a bit of a time jump and, and things have changed and, and Nathan, you know, has ended up, you know, spent finding out a little more about about uh, what Oblivion is and, 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 and what this hellscape is and the faceless men, the, uh, the creatures who are, who are living within Oblivion. And, yeah, I mean, at this point, there has been an invasion. Without giving too much away, there has been an invasion. And, uh, you know, the, the, the human side of things has, has quickly been outmatched and, and Nathan presents uh, as the as the hero, the, the hero on the, on the human side with the knowledge that he has uh, against uh, Dakul and his, uh, his what are they called, Kutal, Go- Gozan Legion. All these words will mean nothing if you haven't been reading. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, and it's interesting because Kirkman had said that he was, he was, he wanted to do things, he wanted to do things, whenever he first came up with this book, uh, what what did he say? He had said something about uh, about this book being something like what Batman might be like if he didn't have his tech, uh, or something like that. And this is the first time. This is the first time you really, yeah. It says it, it's the original concept of Oblivion Song was uh, Batman. Sorry, with with Jack Kirby's Fourth World gadgets. <laughs> so it was. So this is the first time you nearly you nearly see that. But it's just. It's just a fantastic issue. It's, I mean, Oblivion Song. It, it looks gorgeous, but I think Lorenzo De Felici has really, you know, over the past, you know, ten or or fifteen issues has really figured out his look, figured out, you know, really defined the the look of, of Oblivion Song. And it's always a fairly, it's always a fairly fast read. It's always a really fun read. Um, but this this just it starts great as 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 Nathan. Uh, challenges uh, Ducal, uh, the, the leader of the, the Gozan Legion, to single combat, and we learn what, what Nathan was doing uh, for some of the three years that he was trapped in Oblivion uh, and the things that he learned there and the friends that he made there and so forth. Um, but yeah, it's a great, so it's a great fight, but there's a real, uh, there's a real um, impactful ending as, uh, and I'll not, I'll not spoil it, but as, as I guess, uh, Dakul makes a, a doomsday move effectively that is going to change everything. But the real, I guess the real surprise of this issue came in the letters page whenever Robert Kirkman announced that Oblivion Song is going to be ending with issue 36. So we've only got six issues left. So this was originally conceived as three 12-issue arcs, mm-hmm. and we're now halfway through that third arc. So we have... I'm not. I'm not ready for this story to end. You have to. You have to understand. <laughs> it's absolutely. It's absolutely awesome. But we have. This will be the. This will be the, the last issue that will make up volume five, uh, of Oblivion Song, and that's going to be available on the twenty fourth of March for those of you who are who are trade waiting. So that's out in what three weeks, mm-hmm. and then issue thirty one will be out uh, in the second week of June, and that will start then the final, the final six issues of of Oblivion Song, but. Yeah, I just uh, I'm, <laughs> first of all, I don't want them to take a two month break right now with that cliffhanger, <laughs> which, as I say, I'll not spoil. But I, I'm also not ready for this. I'm not ready for this story to be over at all. I don't know if if we're going to see another time jump after the, you know, after the the big uh, 
a big the big ending to this to this issue but this is just it's just really fantastic fantastic stuff that that we've come to expect from from robert kirkman um and it just looks it looks so good uh with uh with uh, de felici on on the art you're still not you're still not on oblivion song alan i or i've read the first two trades of it i have trade three and four on the shelf as well so uh knowing that it's coming to an end as much as it's probably not what you want sometimes i find it easier to jump into a story when i know there's a defined end point yeah yeah agreed. Uh, so there is that aspect but you know look on the bright side at least kirkman gave you six issues notice this time on like walking dead where he <laughs> just released the last issue that week and went oh by the way this yeah. issue's called the end uh, is that actually how the walking dead ended right enough did he just not tell anybody and <laughs> Worse than that, Paddy. He solicited. That, he solicited yeah. additional issues and previews. No yeah, he had oh, covers geez. drawn. So Walking Dead ended on issue 193. It was already in the previews book up to 196. There was covers. There were the Walking Dead always had really vague blurbs for what the issue was about anyway. So it would literally just be like, they reach the house. Full stop. Issue 194. Panic erupts. Issue 195. You know stuff like that. And then the there was all these murmurings a couple of days before it came out because he didn't even tell retailers. Uh, retailers just ordered. And then because obviously some retailers got their uh, issues a couple of days in advance, then word started leaking out. We we consistently wind Stephen up because he spoiled it for everybody in the group <laughs> chat. On the chat. <laughs> he was like, I can't believe Walking Dead's coming to an end this week. And we were like, uh, what? Because we, we had avoided We had somehow avoided all this. Yeah. Uh, and it's not like it really annoyed us or anything, but we've really enjoyed winding them up about it ever since. Uh, so anytime there's spoilers chat, usually people go, Stephen, be careful. But, uh, but yeah, but yeah, I mean, those, because those, obviously, as you know, previews is three months ahead. So we had solicited, yeah. you know, an issue each of those each of those three months after the actual planned ending of of Walking Dead. But yeah, I mean, as you say for Neil Bader, Alan, I mean, there's 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 enough here for a, you know, for a Netflix series. Enough here, definitely more than enough for the for the movie that it's supposedly optioned for. I don't yeah. know how they could do this as a movie now. It's just so much, you know. There's but but it's been it's been such a good such a good read. I mean, I would imagine that's 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 six. That's an image six issues. That that would make a six six volume. So that would make a lovely invincible size omnibus edition. Well, there is. Uh, I've just been looking up here actually in Diamond. There is actually a. They've been releasing them as hardcover books as well, and each hardcover book has twelve issues in it. So mm-hmm. it has the twelve issues along with covers and sketchbooks and stuff. There's only been one volume announced so far, though, but. That'll probably be the way I wouldn't mind collecting it. He says having four trades on the shelf already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm a sucker for a hardcover volume, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would consider a hardcover of this story just just as a as a way of reading it all together. Well, it's interesting. I mean, Oblivion song. Just to go back to the very start of it. I I don't know if you remember when it came out, Keith, but like Kirkman said that they had the first twelve issues already drawn, produced, printed before they released issue one because they never wanted to miss a date. Uh, they did a massive pre-order or a massive print run for issue one because he always said as proud as he is that walking dead number one became like this big value book it always sort of annoyed him that people couldn't go back and get a first print you know if it was say 30 mm-hmm. issues in so yeah like i think oblivion song i'm gonna look it up here now in diamond just out of pure curiosity i'm nearly sure number ones of this will still be in stock and uh yep there you go number one still in stock because they did a huge print run because he said 
he wanted anybody who enjoyed this story to be able to get like that collectible number one at cover price instead of paying silly money you know I'm sure mm-hmm. that I'm sure the the speculators absolutely loved Robert Kirkman for that. Yeah, well, <laughs> thankfully Robert Kirkman is a, a comic fan first and not a twat um, who <laughs> just wants to speculate on comic books. Uh, I don't mind a bit of speculation here and there. Like we had really good conversations with some creators about speculation. It does drive the industry in a while, but in a way. But if that's all you're in it for, you're not really that interested in the medium, if you ask me. But that's uh that's a whole other podcast to chat about i am sure mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm sure keith and i could have a really good long rant on that oh yeah yeah but yeah i think part of i think what what kirkman does is maybe to is maybe sort of to obfuscate speculators you know mm-hmm. the way he plays with the industry is you know the way he plays with release schedules and, and announcements and, and social media i think part of that is really is really to make sure that, that those books do get into the hands of fans yeah you know that people that, that want to uh, that want to read it. Yeah, I mean for what it is. He he just he likes playing with the industry in general, and that that can only be applauded. You know, he released Die 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 as a as a surprise release image title, like retailers didn't even know what they were ordering, and then it was a brand new Kirkman title out of nowhere because, you know, his his name on it means it'll sell. So it's not like retailers are going to be left with loads of issues if they you know did a big order on it and so forth so I'm, uh, I'm still waiting to see if we're getting a, a, a an issue 18 of solid blood <laughs> <laughs> after finding that random issue 17 yeah well i need to finish uh invincible first before i do anything yeah, i haven't you do that you I, do that i haven't went back to it in a few weeks so uh feeling guilty here but yeah <laughs> anyway. it's on amazon doesn't it what do you today on amazon i think it's this month i if i had to uh venture a guess it just seems all the all the big things are coming out in march um and you get snyder cut in there somewhere uh yeah let's have a look here invincible tv series march 26th so 26th they're dropping the first three episodes so march 26th you'll have the second episode of falcon winter soldier and the first three episodes of invincible to watch that's not a bad sounding day yeah good weekend yeah but at least i can watch it straight away now because i've i've got past that big twist you were telling me about like 12 issues in so yes yeah you have yeah at least i've got past that so at least i can start watching some of it anyway uh yeah so that is gonna do it for us this week so yeah looking forward to next week and when we do get caught up we'll hopefully be doing the releases then from the 3rd of march and the 10th of march i mean looking ahead at some of the the titles coming out there are some big ones coming out you know you've got berserker finally coming out the kenny reeves matt kent title you've got dc comics getting back to their normal continuity now with batman 106 and suicide squad number one and swamp thing number one and a new Superman title coming back. You've got new um, Scott Snyder title coming out. You've got Noctera. You've got the always amazing Firepower, which, oh, oh Firepower mm-hmm. 9, oh my God, such an issue as well. Not that I've read any of these, of course. <clears throat> uh, you know, there's other good stuff as well. There was some good Keenan Black tie-ins, which we know Patty always loves chatting about. And all that stuff, that's just all the third. And then, you know, I'm getting ready to do the pull list now once we stop recording. So we will get on to the 10th. But anyway. I'll be straight over, Alan, as soon as we stop recording, just to pick up my pull list. And you'll be waiting outside <laughs> for at least, I'd bring a sleeping bag if I was you and a nice comfy <laughs> pillow for outside. <laughs> but I love the excitement. Cool. Well, that's going to do it for us, guys. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed this uh, as ever. And cheers tonight, guys. <laughs>